Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court for another week. I'm Mac McDonald. He is Ralph Sampson. Great. We've got a, a wonderful show planned, and, and Ralph, a guy that, that you lifted weights with, that he watched you, you watched him. Uh, Jim Dombrowski, 11 years with the New Orleans Saints, is going to be with us today. Looking forward to that. And also, even better than that, the V Foundation's got a big event. You're part of it. And Shane Jacobson, the new CEO, is going to be with us. So jam-packed, but jelly tight with you for sure. Well, you know, great call on, on uh, Dumbo. I mean, that name is synonymous. Everybody, I mean, some people don't know his first name. So <laughs> we just call him Dumbo. But great guy. Mac, you can only imagine, like I said, camaraderie in university hall in the weight room with, with football players like this. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll get into some of that during the show about lifting weights together, hanging out together, but also just good people. And then we got UVA football games. You know, my first year were not just a football game. They were a party, you know. Yeah, so oh, yeah. You go to oh, game, yeah. You got beat up. And then you come on Sunday and watch field hockey or something like that because all of us sports people start together. But they clean up after a football game and on the road down at the bottom. They didn't have the top part of the arena, right? They just had the bottom with a lot of bourbon bottles lined up on the thing. And they would count how many they would have for the whole game. So people came and just hung out for a football game. So small, middle sized, big. Small, all shapes and sizes. All shapes and sizes. So that's going to be fun to talk to the double here about. Uh, that's good. And, uh, you know, during that time, when you think about it, and you were a part of it too. Uh, and I was so, pr- you know, very honored to be a part of it, but that 80 to, uh, you know, you guys are coming off the NIT and that, but that 80 to 85, 86, George Welsh is getting things going. Um, NCAA final four, um, their first bowl game ever. And, and Virginia wins the first bowl game ever. Ralph, think about those five and six years. Now, granted, there were a lot of great things that happened after that, but those first four or five years of the eighties were magical. Well, you know, I think it set the tone. So you think about basketball, football has never really been until then anything about anything to write home about. Right. So right. you had the Wally Walker years, Mark Aroni, you had the, you know, the spots here and spots there. And in the seventies that created the basketball side that started. But when I got there and then Dabrowski and Ford and Herman Moore and Barry Word, all those guys came as well things started to change a little bit. 
And I don't know, we had something to do with the basketball, but having a, a Coach Walsh and Coach Holland kind of build a foundation, I think it started the evolution of Virginia, Virginia basketball and football, but also Virginia sports because now we got national attention going yeah. to the Final Four, going to a bowl game. And so it started to, started to climb a little bit there. And obviously over the years, you know, coaches change and things change. And now you, you, know, you have a, a system at UVA, I think it's better. You got education, yeah. you got sports, you got life. You got the, all three things there that actually transcend UVA sports and, and University of Virginia today. For and, sure. I, and I know you've talked about it before, but just the ACC with eight schools was a pretty tight knit. I mean, really, everybody yeah. knew what everybody was doing, who they were recruiting. I mean, and the coaches that were there from the Danny Fords to the George Welshes, man, what a league it was. Well, I mean, I know things change over the years, but you know, today compared to when we played, but you know, you can play in North Carolina home and home, you know, home and yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely. And a Maryland home and away. So you had the rivalry where you at least see guys twice a year, right? Now you might play somebody once a year, once every, I mean, it just, I don't think it's as close knit as it used to be, right? But it was a special time to you know, play Maryland during the year up at Coldfield House and play them at home. But that rivalry, the last game, my last career game at University Hall against Maryland, we had great lefty because they'll talk about that on as well. Was just special memories that last a lifetime. And I don't think they have that uh, like they did back then today. No, I think you're right. One of the best to ever play, Jim Dombrowski. He's right around the corner. We'll go to break. We'll come back. This is the Winner's Circle Network with Ralph Sampson in center court. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. The offensive line, five guys have to act as one. When you play with somebody long enough next to, next to you or you're next to them, you can kind of anticipate what their reaction is going to be to things that you're seeing on the defense. You've got a split second to, to make uh, adjustments, and if four of the guys make the same adjustment and one guy doesn't make the same adjustment, chances are the play's not going to be very successful. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald. He is Ralph Sampson. He is the one, the only Jim Dombrowski, a college Hall of Famer. Uh, he's in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. He was a first-round pick in the 1986 NFL Draft. He played his entire 11-year career for the NFL's New Orleans Saints. And, Ralph, when we were on the phone yesterday setting up the interview, Dumble told me he only had 22 surgeries. How many surgeries did Doc McHugh do? That's the question. None. I, no, I that that, that may be a good injury. thing. That may be a good thing. I, did, I was lucky in college. I didn't get uh, injured. And, and most of them were minor surgeries. Right? I, told, I had a career-ending injury, and, and I had a bunch of surgeries. For that, but up until that point, it was just 
normal things. Basketball players don't have minor anything and football players, yeah, minor surgery. They just, you know, cut my knee and, you know, fixed an ankle. And by the way, they my nose, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess what you guys are saying is basketball players are smarter than football players. I think so. You, 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 you know, you know, back in the day, if we play whatever, you played hurt, injured. So I don't know if we were smarter or just dumb as the dirt, you know. So anyway, Mac, go ahead. You, you, got, you right. got, I know that resume is long, but go ahead. You can, you can. Well, take anyway, first, he, uh, uh, when, when, when I called him, it was great to catch up with him. And, um, Jim, did you feel the 11 years in the NFL with the New Orleans Saints? That was just about right. Too long or too short? Oh, too short. Um, I think uh, before my injury, I might have had another four or five years, um, in my body. Um, and, you know, it's always about trying to win the championship. And unfortunately, I never got close um, to, to achieving that goal. Um, but, yeah, no, it was it was too short. Ralph, he told me now also he gave me a little insight because you've always talked about the shared locker room back in the early 80s. And Jim Dombrowski told me that he used to spot for you because he wasn't sure you were going to get up that 130 pounds or whatever it was you were lifting. Well, you know, we had John, the likes of Coach Dunn and John Gamble. So that 135, that's only one plate on both sides. And I was probably, I was only probably 190 pounds. So I'm missing 135 pounds. Going, so I needed some help. And he, he was there. I'm sure we all were there some, at some point trying to lift that weight uh, that we could not lift, but they, they, they push us and we ended up doing it. But my, my biggest ever, Bench press was 315, but I was in the yeah. NBA, NBA for, you know, long, long, long time after that. But they, you guys used to do 315 in a heartbeat down with John and Coach Dunn, right, in the weight room. Yeah, when the McHugh Center got built and, and uh, I was up there, let's take a walk back into U-Haul and let, let's go into what our weight room was. And, and our weight room was the athletic weight room, right? Right. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's come a long way. Well, Mac, I tell we we had this conversation before with another player. So I, I don't know if I would trade that weight room in for today's weight room because we had camaraderie with every sport, right? So you would, you know, you had your turn, football and basketball would, you know, dominate the weight room, but there were swimmers and I you know hockey and field hockey. So everybody can so you saw every athlete that you had camaraderie yeah. with one way or another. That's what built the relationship we have over the years. So that was very special. They don't have that today. Yeah, and and, and I, I think you're right. I think they missed something. Um, it's too specialized, you know, like, um, I, I know the university of Alabama has football only weight room, um, the, the dining facility. I mean, everything is just for football and then like the sports are, are in a separate facility, but you know, that you talk about the camaraderie that that's a big part of any experience, but particularly athletics. Yeah, I remember a lot of football guys coming to basketball games and a lot of basketball guys coming to football games. You know, I, I would see them quite a bit. You know, being there at that time in the early 80s, Jim, what? Because George Welsh, you, you were going through a transition and Coach Welsh was coming in. What was it like for you there as a, as a college uh, football player? What did you experience? Oh, it was fun. Um, <laughs> now, you know, my, my first year under, under Coach Beswick was – challenging right we were one in ten they get fired new coach comes in and and i mean it was needed george brought all the qualities that made him who he is as, as successful is what we needed to, to become a better football team right but um so in the beginning it was it was frustration and, and just a lot of hard work 
um, whether it's in the classroom or trying to get better on a football field or, or whatever, but also um, a sense of satisfaction in that you saw the results of the hard work. Georgia's first year, we were only two and nine, but we were really competitive. We lost a lot of games by a field goal or a touchdown or, or, or less. So you could see the progress that was made. And then we built on that. And then, you know, we had 84 where we finally kind of broke through. The amazing Peach Bowl, Ralph. I don't know if you were yeah, in Atlanta. Yeah. I was uh, in the NBA at that point in time, but I definitely recall uh, we were on the road playing. So I definitely recall 84 for sure. Yeah, that was the Mikowski. That was the upset over Jim Everett and Purdue. I think Purdue was was favored and, and Coach Welsh decided to, I'm going to run Petty and I'm going to run Barry Word and we're going to play defense. And, and Jim, if I remember a real tough decision in the second half over whether you kick the field goal or go for it in the red zone. There was a real critical decision, right? It, it was, but we scored a touchdown late in the game, like two and a half minutes to go or something like that in the fourth quarter. And as we're walking off the field, right, we're happy. We scored, we're ahead, and George is complaining that we scored too fast. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> right, right, because – I forget what year it was, but um, Jim Everett goes from the Rams and joins us at the Saints, you know, as, as a quarterback. And he and I, we kind of kept up casual conversation throughout the early part of our career. But uh, um, I certainly took every opportunity to remind Jim um, and thank him for throwing <laughs> that interception that sealed the game for us. Well, and it was, but it was historic too. I mean, absolutely historic. And then there's the other thing about 84, I remember, and of course, we'll get into the New Orleans stuff. And Ralph, that year was also the year that George goes forward fourth and one at Virginia Tech and the Mikowski bomb to John Ford. Famous to me. It may not be famous. No, I've seen people, I know exactly what you're going to talk about. Ford the picture. Catching that, that, yeah, that ball. He catches the back half of the ball. Yeah, the picture, which I have somewhere, his fingertips, that's all you see. At the one-yard line is John Ford with yeah. his fingertips, not his hands, his fingertips holding on to the, yeah. uh, the football. Jim, do you remember that play call? I remember the results of it. You know, I mean, <laughs> as a lineman, you know, you're normally wanting to run the ball on something like that. And, and I think George threw the curveball by, by, you know, throwing it. And Mikowski, you know, threw the bomb, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of going for – I don't even know if there was a five-yard route that the guy would have been open in – completed it for a first down but you know donnie throws the bomb and and we completed and you know the rest is history that might have been a, a mikowski trick you know you never know what he's back there doing right when he's back in the pocket but he he, he saw something i guess and i guess he tr entrusted uh, mr ford to catch it yeah D donnie uh yeah donnie was fearless no yeah. doubt about it. <laughs> what was it like to play for coach Welsh? I, I thought it was great now george and i had a different relationship than most of my teammates. I thought he was funny. You know, we had a lot of talks, one-on-one -on -one, one talks. And um, I mean, I loved playing for the man. There was never any question about where you stood. Um, if you got him away from the on-field and, and the, the feistiness and the fieriness and competitiveness and all that, um, he was a he was a terrific man. Did he do a lot of coaching with you? Naturally, you have a position coach. Did he coach you a lot? Not me particularly, right? I mean, because his his forte was 
being a quarterback at Navy. Mm-hmm. And then he was a running backs coach when he was at Penn State, right? He understood line play, but he was going to let OB, um, you know, co- coach the linemen. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I remember, golly, this was, I think, the fall of 82. So we're having a one-on-one pass rushing, pass rushing, pass blocking drill. And uh, Randy Brookshire and I think it was Ron Mattis get into a fight after their their block. Mm-hmm. And Tom O'Brien <laughs> and Art Marcos, who is the defensive line coach, are just stepping back and letting them go at it. And from three fields away, so we were on that <laughs> left-hand field. On that right-hand field, you, you hear George, you know, scream, stop it! And he takes his hat and he turns it around and he comes sprinting over and he gets right in the middle of them and shoves those two big guys away. And he's like, stop it, you know? And, and Obi being the the Marine that he was, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, Obi, how come you're not stepping in and stopping? And he's like, I'm not going to get in between <laughs> those two big groups, right? And you had little George getting right in the middle of it and, and, and shutting it down. Yeah, uh, it's good stuff. The draft was not as big a media deal as it is today. I knew I was going to be a pretty high draft pick. So I was in my apartment at college, had my mom and dad, some other family members, a reporter from my hometown down, and uh, we were just watching. And then uh, well, my name got called, went to the refrigerator, got a bottle of champagne, and popped the cork. <laughs> You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to the Winner Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson, our guest from uh, Louisiana, Mandeville, Louisiana, right outside New Orleans, is Jim Dombrowski, one of the more outstanding linemen really to to ever play uh, in the NFL and had just a great career with, with New Orleans. And, of course, uh, all ACC, Ralph, and the ACC's Jacobs blocking trophy in, in 84 and 85. He just, he just piled up now, you know, a couple of Hall of Fames he's in. Jim, what was your draft night? like well my draft night was actually a draft morning (laughs) (laughs) what people know as the nfl draft today did not even remotely exist you know today you get invited to new york city or wherever they're hosting the draft and all the hoopla and, and the media attention and what it was is uh my parents were in town i was in my apartment at at u heights you know it was like about nine thirty in the morning or something like that when I got picked by the Saints, and um, you know I went over. I had a bottle of champagne. That that was it. It is so different than all the media attention that goes into the draft these days. I mean, it's crazy. So so sitting there waiting, and I mean expectations. When uh, I mean I've talked to some UVA basketball players that thought they should go earlier or later. They get there, they don't get there. I mean, what was your expectations going into that draft? Many, many rounds. I mean, the NBA now has two rounds instead of 10 rounds. Football, obviously, is much more massive. But what were your expectations going into the draft? So based on what I was here, and I figured that if I was a top 10, I'd go somewhere in the top 10. And the, the teams that really need offensive linemen at that time were the Saints and then the Chiefs. And then, you know, there were a couple teams after that. And Jim Finks called me in my apartment um, and we just talked hockey. 
And it was maybe a 10 minute conversation. And, and that was it. That was the only contact I had from any scouts or, or people from any NFL team. So it was just like, okay, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, when this, when my name was called, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a good deal. So no combine, <laughs> no pro day, no, well, visits. they had to combine, had to combine, but yeah. that was in Indianapolis. No, it actually was in new Orleans. I, I remember working out a little bit with some of the other seniors one time in the spring but again, you know, the, the logistics of the scouting department and the GM, I, I'm classifying as different than the media attention, mm-hmm. right? Where the buildup to the draft is, you know, I mean, it's almost like the Super Bowl yeah. where, you know, all the speculation and, and you know, today, uh, mock draft, you know, 2.0 for the Saints. And then tomorrow will be, you know, mock draft 3.0. Just the attention that it garners is, is amazing to me. Yeah, it's a definitely pre pre draft expectations that had to be kind of crazy. But then you you get drafted, you have a bottle of champagne or a couple of glasses of champagne, family there, which is probably the most special moment you know in a career. That moment when you kind of relieve that you got drafted. Now what's next? And then the next day you can recover, and then two days later you go back to working out. But for me, I mean, I talked to other guys as well. The motivation of getting drafted at that level. What did you do in the next couple of days and how did you get your mind wrapped around being drafted into the NFL coming from a program that's not typically an Alabama or a football school? You know, Virginia sports just was, you know, I think we, we transitioned between myself and you guys as well. We made Virginia sports a little bit better. But how, what was your mindset to transition? Because, you know, going in, wanting to play professionally, it was probably a dream and then it comes true. What was what did you do after that? I mean, the next couple of days and. How did you start preparing for the NFL? Um, unlike today's college game where there's way more passing than there was when I played at, at UVA, um, I knew the biggest difference was going to be pass blocking, right? I mean, in a typical game my senior year at Virginia, if we threw eight to ten passes, that was a lot, right? And I knew that we were going to throw a lot more. In, in the NFL, and I was going to face guys who were really, really good pass rushers. So the main way that I tried to prepare was to get better at pass blocking techniques because, you know, Ralph, you can you can appreciate this. When you played college, you were the best athlete on the floor, right? Now, you know, when I played, I, I was normally the best athlete on the field at, at, at that time. Well, you don't necessarily say that when you get into the professional ranks, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a way different world, and there was a learning curve that that got into all of that. And it, it was trying to improve my technique, you know, primarily on, on pass blocking and, and getting better um, with that. So kind of a, a story about um, the, the day after got drafted, fly down to New Orleans, and as soon as I get off the plane, there's a New Orleans police officer waiting for me. And I'm like, man, I, I haven't done anything. You know, what's going on? <laughs> well, come to find out that he, he was also one of the uh, part-time assistant equipment guys for the Saints. And he was he was the head of the security at, at the airport, right? So it was just real convenient for him to get down, get me, and, and we go to the facility. And... 
drive up to the facility and I'm thinking that I'm being punked, right? Because <laughs> sure, it, yeah. it's a corrugated metal building in kind of an industrial part of town. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going, okay, you know, where's the real facility, right? And right. they're like, no, this is it. And I was like, <laughs> this is it. And, and sure enough, that's what it was. And for most of my career, that was the facility that, that we practiced at. It, it was, it was just interesting that it's a different world. You know, it was all about profit and loss and, and I, I get it for the owners, you know, they, they want to make money and, and I'm all about that. But professional sports, you, you really keep score by how many of those championship trophies that the, the, mm -hmm. the franchise has. Today they fly on private planes. They got chefs. They got all this other bells and whistles that we didn't have at any level, college and or pro. Right? If I'd have had that, I, I'd have been pretty. I'd have been pretty good. But I'd have been. I didn't have to go to Luby's cafeteria and get my breakfast or make my own <laughs> breakfast. They have it right there in the arena, and the facility. I mean, you've seen UVA facilities football wise. Now it's kind of crazy yeah. that it's that big, and. We didn't have all that. No, no. So there was a sandwich shop across the road from the Saints facility, Mano's Poor Boys. And we had 30 minutes between ending our, our position meetings and being on the field. And in that 30 minutes, you needed to get taped for practice, get your lunch, eat your lunch. And, and put on the rest of your equipment to go have that day's practice, right? And it's like, that's a lot to do in 30 minutes when you got 60 guys who are all trying to get taped by three trainers. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that sandwich shop had a constant stream of Saints players going over there and getting their lunch. Now, nutrition is important. I can guarantee you that the the uh, menu at Mano's Poor Boys was not Mano's Mano's was not nutritious. It was delicious, but it's not what you need to eat if you want to succeed and excel athletically. Mano's wasn't NFL certified. Huh? And, and, and Mac, that's at the NFL level. That's that's at professional level. Oh, that's it's too just much. off the chart. It's way off the chart. No, I mean, they, they, yeah. I mean, I was the first guy to bring weights to the NBA in the locker room. Right. No wow. weightlifting, no nothing. Today they lift weights before the game, after the game, during the game, on the airplane, whatever. They, they lift the weights training. Like before, it'll throw your shadow. So imagine that transition. As you, you said, getting off the plane, there's a police officer waiting for you to take you to the gym and you walk up to a metal tin building, right? Like, yeah, it's, what the freak am I at, right? Jim Dombrowski is now a certified financial planner for Benjamin Edwards, uh, Benjamin F. Edwards, and uh, also a member of three Hall of Fames, which um, I know has got to feel great. The Greater Buffalo Hall of Fame, the College Hall of Fame, and then the um, the National Polish American Sports Hall of Fame, which is a true honor. So, Jim, now working with figures, and do you feel a competition day to day working with numbers and people in financial planning? Is there still is that a competitive field for you? Yes, um, and you know, I don't necessarily compete with anybody. I, I compete with the market. And, right. Um, what I do professionally is is a little bit different than most people in my field. Um, you know, I, I really focus on helping people have a successful retirement. And there's a lot that goes into it. And, and investments are important, but that's one part of it. Um, but I also have a uh, uh, an investment process that I've had for 
golly, probably 15 years that um, I did a lot of research and, and whatnot with my science background. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, I'm, I'm competing with myself against the markets. I'm not worried about what somebody else is, is doing for their clients. It's mm -hmm. all about me trying to, to compete with the market. Well, well being, being an inner athlete that I know you are, and two-part question one, take me through your process of being a high school recruit to, to UEA, that academic climate that, that, that made you then go into the NFL and then athletes out there may be listening or people listening. How do you transition from all that to a financial planner? Because that's not what they would expect us to do, right? We, we're not, we, we dumb jocks. So I remember <laughs> Howard Cosan said, Ralph Sampson can't make it at UV academically. So how do you transition yeah. from that to where you are today? And then the second part is because you're competitive. So you are planning really against yourself to win a championship off the court in your financial plan. So I know you've won there many, many times. So unlike myself as well, not winning an NBA title, but we went off the court as well now that we since retired only a couple of years ago. Yeah. So when I was being recruited, um, my dad played college football at the University of Buffalo, um, where I where I grew up. And so we had some contacts with the athletic department there. And, and one of the people in the athletic department gave me some advice that really resonated with me. And I've actually shared with all the kids who are being recruited from that moment forward to today. And it was essentially this. Don't go to the school where you think you're going to win a national championship because chances are that's not going to happen. Don't go to the school where you like the head coach because chances are he's not going to be there for your entire career. <laughs> there were a lot of don'ts choose this, don't choose that. He said, do choose the school where you think you would be happy if you weren't playing the sport. And it was like, well, you know, that, that really makes a lot of sense because I know with, with me, um, if I'm happy in most parts of my life, it's going to um, permeate through the rest of my, my life. And if I'm unhappy, if I go to the school just because it, it was, you know, uh, an Alabama or an LSU, but I'm, I'm not enjoying the rest of, of my experience there, that negativity is going to permeate the rest of my life. And what I try to tell people, and, and I guess I'm, I'm a perfect example, if you are good enough to play at the next level, they'll find you, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they spend millions and millions of dollars trying to locate talent. And if you are good enough, they will, they will find you, right? Um, and so, you know, that is the best advice that I can give anybody that is being recruited is, you know, pick the school where you think you'd be happy if you weren't playing that sport. Uh, really just a storied, storied career. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished. And you know, I know you'll, you'll treasure that journey for a long, long time, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, Ralph, maybe next time in, I'm in town, I might be, might know someplace where I can go and get a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, that's a couple places you can go. There, there's one that we all uh, uh, were obviously went to sometimes during our UVA career that still exists called the White Spot. But also there's a couple of places we can hang out. So come in town. I live here now. So I look forward to hanging out. And if I come to New Orleans, which I do seldomly, but I love coming out, we'll hook up. You can literally host this show anytime you want with that question. That was too good. Jim, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you, partner. All right. 
Thanks, Thanks guys. Take, Take care. care. Appreciate it. You know, we can talk about greatness all we want. To me, the definition of greatness in an individual is the impact they make on others' lives for generation after generation. Think about the lives that he's affected and the people that he's helped along that way. That is magical. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are going to carry on forever. I thank you, and God bless you all. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network with uh, Ralph Sampson, and uh, we are very pleased to have Shane Jacobson with us. He is the Chief Executive Officer of the V Foundation. This guy's been a fundraiser all over. It would take, you know, hours to talk about his success. But uh, Ralph, to be at the top of the V Foundation, I can't think of anything more fulfilling. Well, Mac, you know, we go way back to Derek Wittenberg, his friend and, and uh, the V Foundation and being recruited by Jimmy Valvano and the story that goes on as we had Derek on this show a number of weeks ago as well. But to be a part of something that, uh, you know, we lost to NC State. Mike, you know, know, mm-hmm. know the story a, a couple of times during that run that created this. So as I look back on something as special as uh, my college career, but also there are moments in life that you look back now and say it meant something, right? And it's right. bigger than just basketball. And the V Foundation is one of those. So I'm happy to have Shane on today just to talk about what we do there. I've got a now a, a great relationship with them, especially with my dad having some prostate and lung cancer as well. So it means even more to me now in life than than it did back then. But to have Shane and Derek Whitworth relationship is very special. So Shane, how are you today? And 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 I know you transitioned from moving and the V Foundation, but there's an event coming up this weekend. Yeah, Ralph. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that, Mac. Uh, and Ralph, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great to join you here today. It's an honor to to have this conversation and. Yeah, I'm, I'm all of 90 days into uh, being the CEO of the, the V Foundation. So it's it's been a tremendous uh, opportunity. I, I consider it uh, a once in a lifetime kind of moment for, for me professionally uh, to be welcomed into the V family, knowing Jim's story and his fight with cancer. Of course, the SB speech that everybody uh, so fondly uh, remembers that was a call to action, right? We all have to lean into this cancer. Mm-hmm. It's not going away anytime soon and it needs the fight against cancer needs more resources. And, and so uh, an event this weekend in Virginia uh, is just one of those. And, and finally now with COVID and, and what we've had to do to move through the year, we uh, will have a hybrid event with a, a small group in person. Ralph will be there, Joe Theismann, Jay Billis, part of our Voices for Victory framework that uh, give uh, an audience a chance to hear from them. As Ralph mentioned, his father with, uh, with cancer, their experiences and how cancer has touched their lives. And not just talk about the fight against cancer, but talk about victory and what it means uh, to, to, to come out uh, in, in positive ways. So this weekend's a, a chance for finally us to get a toe back in the water to be in person with a few people. It's also a hybrid event. So we have uh, the opportunity for people to join us uh, uh, online as well uh, through v.org. Uh, join us and, and, and experience the event virtually, network, network virtually. We have an online platform that allows people to meet each other, talk about their cancer journeys or cancer, how it's affected their families and the ways that they can support the V foundation. Shane, how special was it to get the offer to be a part of the V foundation? I don't know how it all played out, but it had to be just a, just a, a very special phone call. 
It, it was, you know, I, I, I would say uh, a, a very few number of times in my life, I've, I've been speechless being a fundraiser. <laughs> uh, we're in the relationship business and, and uh, you know, we have two ears and a mouth. We should listen more than we, we talk, but it's, it, it's really, you know, I, I was speechless uh, and, and uh, knowing, knowing Jim's story, watching the, the, his speech every single year uh, and, and having cancer uh, impact our family. It, it, it touches all of us, uh, you know, one in, one in two men, one in three women in this country will have cancer during their, their lifetimes. And I, I think it's hard to find any one person who hasn't had cancer affect them personally and their families and friends mm-hmm. and colleagues personally. And, and it, it used to be the story, right, that uh, we, we all have lost someone. And uh, unfortunately, those numbers were, were far too high. Over the last 50 years, we've decreased by 20 percent the mortality rate. Uh, in, in the, uh, based on, on cancer. And, and that's as a direct reflection to the investments in cancer research, research and the advancement of, of knowledge and, and science. Um, and, and, and I think because of that, right now, we can all also celebrate the fact that we also know people who are surviving and thriving. Uh, uh, and and uh, those numbers continue to increase. And, and with our family, we've experienced survivorship. We've experienced loss and, and it, it's something deeply personal for, for me and for us. Hence the reason I, to your question was, was a bit speechless. It was a tremendous opportunity to go through the interview process and learn about the B foundation and the, the passion for the work and yeah. the tremendous board and, and range of volunteers and, and staff that we have, but it, it really is something special. Yeah. I was going to ask you, it's, you know, not being there, as long as your tenure will be, is there one or two things that stick out? You mentioned passion. What about passion that makes you get up and do what you do? But there, are there any stories about passion? Because I've had family and friends that uh, my dad over, overcame it. With what he had, also had family and friends that had on to pass away from it as well. So, what is that passion to you? And what makes you get up every morning and 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 have that passion to be a part of this? Yeah, uh, Ralph, great great question. So I I. I start with, uh, I guess, my starting point when this opportunity came forward, and, it, and it's actually rooted in Jim's ESPY speech. Towards the end of his speech, he, he initiates a call to action, and he says, uh, I need your help. We need your help. We need more support in cancer research. It may not save my life. It may save someone you love. It may save your children. Mm-hmm. And uh, some, with somebody who has uh, kids myself, one of the motivations that I jump out of bed uh, at, mm-hmm. to jump into this work every day is, is to some, some small extent to the uh, fact that I can, I can play some role to increase the likelihood that, that my kids uh, never get cancer. And in fact, if they do, the statistics suggest that, that they might. And, and if they do, the chances of them surviving is, uh, is significantly more than it is today. So that's one part of it, uh, Ralph. Mm-hmm. But, but the second, when, when, we meet those who are, who are fighting the fight. They have cancer and, and they have high expectations that the scientists and, and the researchers and their, their oncologists and specialists will, will find a solution, will deliver to see in their eyes the hope uh, and, and the need and the want to, as many of us have experienced with our, with our family and, and colleagues and friends, to, to get to sur- survivorship. Um, the, they're the heroes. Right. You know, you think about research in cancer over over the years and the, the amount of clinical and trials uh, research that has has unfolded. The people who are part of that, who are they themselves subjecting them themselves to, to cutting edge 
research and solutions to help the rest of us. I mean, how can you not roll out of bed and be ready to go and, and, and do something again in my small part in this role to try to make this a better world and for all of us to get to a place where there is a future that we can imagine that is cancer free. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to have the, it, it wouldn't be hard to motivate a team. I wouldn't think, you know, because people are in the fight or in the trenches um, every day. And it, it is so special. And I know Dick Vitale is so passionate about it. I think he said when we had him on Ralph, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and by the way, we're with Shane Jacobson, the new CEO of the V foundation. I think Dick said, uh, we're close to 200 million or you've gone over 200 million, something like that. The, 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 the number was astronomical. Yeah, Mac, we've, we've funded 154 institutions with $260 million of research funding since 1993. And at that starting point, it was Jim, the Bovano family, his wife, Pam, wow. and, our, and our founding partner, ESPN, with a hope and a dream and a vision that, that we could do something with this. Wow. And that funding, a, a quarter of a billion dollars now, almost to our 30th year, as we look at ROI on that right, is not just the scientific uh, discoveries, it's also how these researchers who are all-stars in the field, only less than 20% of the, the proposals are funded. Uh, so this is the best of the best in the, in the country. These researchers over the, the last 28 years have attracted an additional $1 billion plus of funding and support and extramural research to advance their, their ideas and their thought and their knowledge. And, uh, so, so for those donors who are supporting us, whether it's through our website at, at v.org or at our events where Ralph will be this weekend, where we're going to focus fundraising on immunotherapy, one of the cutting edge aspects in, in cancer research that holds great promise, uh, a, a chance to harness a person's own immune system to fight cancer as a therapy, as an alternative to injecting uh, oneself, uh, obviously, with uh, chemotherapy and toxic drugs. Uh, uh, that, that's what we're going to try to do, try to raise a, a million dollars or more at this at, at this event and uh, try to create even more, even more impact. Wow. So somebody was one of my dad's nurses, which we stay in contact with, um, sent me a text and said, if everybody for like one day or two days, don't drink Starbucks or coffee. Right. One day. That's that and, and donate to causes like this, right? That's more money than the federal government, and that's a couple day period of time than they spend on research for cancer, right? And that right. can help find some of these pediatric or cure for that. I'm like, it, it didn't dawn on me how much that was, but that's millions of dollars in one or two days by just drinking a cup of coffee that people can say, I'm not going to drink coffee today, I'm just going to donate that eight dollars or five dollars to a cause that will help cure some parts of cancer, right? So that kind of blew me away that that type of research, and you're saying that now with this amino uh, therapy as well, there's, there's stuff out there that can help, obviously, but there needs to be more research and dollars put to that. Do you think, you know, in our lifetime, we might not see it eradicated, but we sure can see the percentages go down uh, in that. So what is the need there? How do people donate? Where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, I think uh, I think the numbers will continue to go down. When when I meet the 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 heads of the NCI designated cancer centers who are leading the research enterprise at, at, the, at some of the best institutions in the country, and talk to the the researchers and and hear how they they themselves with heart and passion and soul have committed themselves to this this work, I'm convinced the numbers will get there. Whether it's during our lifetimes or not, I don't know, Ralph. My if we do this right, I work myself out of a job. 
and that would be a, a good problem. <laughs> good, that would yeah. be a good problem for for for, for me and, and and all of us uh, to have. Uh, you know, one of the unique aspects of the the V Foundation. This is thanks to again our founding partner ESPN and a number of our lead donors, many of whom are on our board. Uh, uh, we have what we call the 100% giving pledge, and that means every dollar that's donated. So, in that example, Ralph, good example. If it were one cup of coffee uh, a, a week or, or or a year, or putting the V Foundation a little higher up on a on a charitable giving priority list uh, and, and focusing uh, on on cancer for for any of our listeners, 100% of that gift, all of it, flows directly through the V Foundation to our scientific advisory board, which is comprised of the nation's leading cancer center uh, directors. And they're evaluating research that's coming to the V Foundation through a request uh, for proposal submission process. So on these campuses and at these research centers, what's being submitted to us is already the best of the best locally, then competing nationally. And so the, the research that's funded here is, is connected to our mission, focused on all-star scientists and game-changing research that's gonna accelerate cures to cancer. And 100% of your gift, all goes to the research, does not cover overhead. Our endowment itself takes care of a lot of that and net proceeds from, from events as well. And so charitable giving at the V Foundation uh, is very, very unique in, in this country in that 100% all flows to mission impact directly where you, the donor, uh, want it to go, which is helping find solutions. And, uh, and so- good stuff, Shane. Yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. Victory Over Cancer. To learn more, you can go to v.org. The V Foundation for Cancer Research was founded in 1993. Shane, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. This is awesome. Have a great weekend with uh, with all your events. And we'll continue, I know, throughout the show. I'm speaking for Ralph. This is his baby. But I'm sure we'll continue to promote and do all we can for the uh, V Foundation, for sure. Thanks, Mac. Thanks, Ralph. Really appreciate you putting us on a pedestal. And Victory Over Cancer, that's the goal. Yeah, Winter Circle Network with Rob Sampson. We'll be right back after this. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sports casting, I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network. He is Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. Great show today with, with uh, Jim Dombrowski. Uh, former New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer, uh, just a, a terrific man, and and Shane Jacobson, Ralph, the the new CEO. I tell you what, that that's got to be a God, that's got to be a wonderful thing to step into because of what the V Foundation represents and how much it has done. What kind of interaction did you have with Jimmy V back in the day? Well, ironically, when we remember when we spoke to uh, Derek Winberg and, and and they were transitioning from Norm Sloan to Coach Valvano and 
and uh, you know Wittenberg and Lowe and Bailey and and all those guys that come to come to in the Cowboys Club, come to NC State, we will be pretty good. But at that point in time, you didn't have that. You didn't right. have the Jeff Lamp and, and and Jeff Jones, and you didn't have a nucleus of guys that you thought you could play with at that point in time. So that relationship from a recruiting standpoint was there, but he wasn't what he was actually during the course of time of his four years mm-hmm. when I played at Virginia. So being recruited one and then going out and playing was a whole different ballgame because we were, you know, fairly dominant in those years. They were still just growing their their their, their, right. their, their team. So by the time their fourth year came, right, then they were pretty good because they had some other players come in, the thoroughbarely and all that kind of stuff as well. So just to see the evolution of that and then playing against them at, in ACC, but also in the NCAA tournament my last year, losing to them twice, to now seeing the V Foundation and what it does, it's amazing to look back and see that legacy and how they got there, mm-hmm. one, and then also see what they've done with the V Foundation after the fact. So very, very impressive. How did you get so tied in with the V Foundation? Well, I mean, you know, it actually was there at Wittenberg initially, and he kept coming to this, come to this golf tournament, come to that golf tournament, and it really never fit schedule, and I wasn't a big golfer. So over the years, and my dad got sick with some cancer issues, and then um, uh, a guy named Mr. Hogan at Virginia reached out to me. He was like the COO of, of uh, UV at one point in time, reached out. I said, we're going to do some stuff here at Virginia with the Emily Kirk Center that my dad was at, et cetera, getting his cancer treatments. And we want to invite you to an event at the Virginia Vine up in Middleburg, Virginia. Like, okay, great. So I finally went, and it was probably one of the best events I've been to. Uh, you know, and there's no golf event, so I had to worry about playing golf and somebody's <laughs> course. But you got likes of Joe Theismann and, and, and Derek Wittenberg. So me and Wittenberg got together and said, okay, let's do something special. And we said, okay, great. When Virginia plays NC State, we will auction off a package and then uh-huh. we will play at Virginia. And then the package comes and we'll meet the, the crew at Board's Head Inn and then we'll go to the game with them. And Jay Bills will be a part of it as well. So we did that, raised $20,000, $30,000 for that one auction. Wow. And went to the game, saw them at Board's Head, took them to the game early. They got to see Jay Bills and the crew before the game started. And we sit the game with these people and it was an amazing time. So from that standpoint on, I've been linked with it for you know every year now, and it's been a very special event for me to attend. Center Court with Ralph Sampson on the Winner's Circle Network. We hope everybody has a great week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.